Hello, hello, hello. How's everybody doing today, tonight, this evening? Welcome to Political Talk, the podcast where we seek the truth, want the truth, and desperately need the truth. So far, you've got Fox on the right, MSNBC on the left, and somewhere along the middle, we sit with CNN. Ladies and gentlemen, this week has been crazy. This week, the world has seen something it's never thought it would see ever again, not since 1945. The new world order is being upended. And for what? For a man to realize his lifelong dream of recreating, excuse me, recreating the USSR, the Soviet Union. Right now, Russia is at a war with Ukraine. You know, I've sat and I've wondered, I said, you know what, have you ever seen a mugging? Have you ever seen someone get robbed, beaten? What would you do? Ukraine is under attack and the world sits back and we watch. We watch a country try to defend itself. And you ask why? Do you know that the defense budget, the defense budget for the United States is $864 billion? $864 billion. Yet we do nothing to help the people of Ukraine. The question is why? Why would you spend that much money or have that much money if you're not going to use it? You have, it's like having a gun, seeing someone get held up and not being the good guy to take out the bad guy. People are dying. People are fleeing their countries. Children are in, <laughs> it is crazy. Can you imagine the people of Ukraine went to bed one night and they woke up and their world was never the same ever again? Yet the United States does nothing. We've done some sanctions. We've done sanctions to cripple Russia's economy. But Putin doesn't care. Putin's quest is to take Ukraine down. Ladies and gentlemen, we spend 800 in eight. we, We have $864 billion. We don't spend it, but we have it. Yet. We will not spend it to defend the country of Ukraine. We are watching a mugging before our eyes. We are watching people get killed. We are watching a genocide. Yet we sit on the sideline. We watch and we pray. They need more than our watching. They need more than our praying. They need our action. Yet people say, they're scared because Russia is a, they've got nuclear weapons and we don't want to start a nuclear war. What happens once Putin comes to the Baltics? Well, they're NATO members. Well, they have nuclear weapons. What's stopping you now that's not stopping you, won't stop you then? We have $864 billion. You know, the argument I've always been told is do we spend on bread or guns? What's butter or guns? 
And, and, and you have these hawks who always want to say, well, we need more money for defense, more money for defense. If we need more money for defense, wouldn't it be to defend the people who can't defend themselves? Of course, we don't want a nuclear war. But sometimes in life, you have to do things you don't want. What are we going to do in three weeks if Ukraine falls and, and Putin comes after the Baltic countries? And now we've entered in this war. We're going to look back and say, Joe, why didn't you not stop it then? What were you waiting for? You said you didn't want this, but guess what? It happened. Zelensky is telling the world, if you sit on your hands and knees, you're empowering this man. He doesn't care if his people hurt. He doesn't care if his country just crumbles. He is wanting to create the empire that he thought was great, that did that fell. Yet we sit and we watch and we pray. Children will grow up without parents. They will grow up in a world they don't know nothing about. Yet we sit and we watch. We give the Defense Department $864 billion. You know, I, I watch these children. And they, and they seem so they're innocent. These babies. And they don't know what's going on. Can you imagine their parents? Their moms having to tell them the world they're growing up in now. That this evil man wants to take their home, their country. And all they want to do is live their life. Ukraine has been independent for 30 years. 30 years they've had a democracy. Yet it's not good for Putin. He needs Ukraine to crumble so as people don't see across the river what they could have. He needs to show them that Ukraine is evil. The West is evil. And he is right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are watching a mugging, a murder, a genocide before our eyes. And they're begging for help. Now, people would say, We've got warmongers. You want to send my kid to die while you sit at home. You know, we look at the time period of World War II, and they had so much they were willing to sacrifice. Men were willing to answer the call because they saw something that was not right. Nobody wants to go to war. But sometimes you have to go to war to fix the evil in the world. I don't want your kid to die. I don't want your daughter to die. I don't want anyone to die. But sometimes you have to answer the call. Now, I know people would say, well, Mark, what about you? Would you answer the call? Yes. If I was called up again. I would answer the call. You know, when he took Crimea, I looked away. When he took Georgia, I looked away. 
But as I see the people of Ukraine, I can no longer look away. I can no longer put my head in the sand and say it doesn't matter. As a country, we can't say it matters. We have to care. The United States, I know people say, we're tired of being the policemen of the world. Sometimes you have to do things you don't like because it's right. The world is watching a genocide, a murder. We give the Defense Department $865 billion, yet we do nothing. We have a gun. We could use it, but we sit in our chair and we pray and we watch. We send them weapons. We, we, we tell them how to pull the trigger. We tell them what to do but we won't get in the game. FDR knew he had to get in the game, but he sold the American people. He brought them over slowly until they were thrust into war. I have a feeling if the American people do not do nothing now, we will be thrust into war once again. We have to do it now, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, now. Sometimes you have to take out evil now, because if you don't, evil will be at your door ready to take you out. These people are crying out. They're hurting. Yet we do nothing because we say we don't want a nuclear war. We're scared. We're scared of the consequences. Sometimes you have to be scared. We're, war is scary. War is not fun. But sometimes you need war to solve an issue you can't. It's like when you're bad in school and your mom has to give you an ass whooping. Your mom doesn't want to give you an ass whooping, but she knows that you need an ass whooping to get right. Putin needs an ass whooping. Russia needs to get right, pull back, and reset order. You want the Russia to be great again? Well, act right again. The USSR had so many issues that it collapsed. Now the people are going to struggle again because you have this great idea to recreate something. You know, we, 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 can, we can always say, you know, it's like when you're little and you romanticize something. You know, when I got out of the Navy, I romanticized going back. I romanticized what it would be like to go back in. And I said to myself, the first time I get yelled at because I messed up, I'll come to my senses. I think Putin ha needs to come to his senses. He needs something to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, we give the Defense Department $864 billion. Yet we're scared to use it. We're scared to test the might. 
We have the greatest military on the face of the earth. Yet we let the little kid fight by itself. We pray. We hope. We give intelligence. The people are crying out. Mothers are having to shield their kids. They're going to bunkers. Babies don't know what's going on, but they see the worry in their parents' face. They see the worry in their parents' face. Parents not knowing what the outcome's going to be, what tomorrow's going to be. Yet we pray and we hope. We, we call up NATO and, and enact our alliance. Yet we refuse to step foot on Ukraine's soil because we're scared of what might become. Nobody wants war. Nobody wants this. But sometimes you need war to solve a problem. Sometimes you need war to get rid of a dictator or an autocrat. Sometimes you need something to happen. Because if you don't do it now, you'll be forced to do it later. And when you're forced to do it later, you'll be forced to hear the criticism. Well, why didn't you do it then? Why do we have to fight now when we could have done it then, when we could have taken care of it then? We were scared. We'll be scared then, and we're scared now. We never thought this would happen. But World War III, we're on the cusp of it. We're on the cusp of a madman trying to create a school project. They say Putin is isolated. He's all alone in his, in his tower. Can you imagine that? COVID, he, he probably read books, and, and these books talked about this, this great time and how powerful, and the world was scared of the Soviet Union and Stalin and all the greatness of it. Sometimes things could look good on paper, better than they are in reality. And I think people forget that. I think we look on paper too much, and then on paper it looks good, and we say we can do that. But when we try to implement it, it doesn't look good. It doesn't turn out the way we thought it would. They say, Putin thought he could wrap this war up in a matter of days. But he did not think that the Ukrainian people would fight. He thought their leaders would flee. Sometimes when you put yes men around you, they'll tell you what you want to hear. If I would have been at that table, I would have said, Mr. Putin, are you sure you want to do this? Have you truly thought of the outcome? Or is this a project? Or is this a vanity project? 
so to say, to make yourself look good? Are you thinking about your legacy? Why don't we think about a legacy where we truly make Russia great again? Where instead of fighting Ukraine, we step up to lead the world. We step up to answer the call to show the world that Russia is strong again. But he wouldn't have listened. He would have probably told me to shut the F up and said, this is what we need to do. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't do it now, it will be at our door tomorrow. And we'll answer the question we'll be asked, why did we not solve the problem then that we're forced to do now? Was the USS great? great? Maybe. Was Stalin great? Maybe. Great if you mean he killed a bunch of people. Great if you mean he harmed his people. I think, like I said, you could romanticize something. You could look at something. You could want something. We spend, or we give, I keep saying spend, we give $864 billion, an $864 fucking billion dollar budget to the Defense Department. Yet we're scared to pull the trigger. We watch a mugging. We watch a murder right before our eyes. We're scared of a nuclear war. We're scared. We're scared. Are you scared? Are you truly scared? You know, I, I've talked to a couple of people and they, and they say, you know what, Mark? I feel like this could be worse off than I'm suspecting. I, I I sense it, the uncertainty of it. You know, we 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 read about these wars in our history books. We read about the murder. We saw the pictures of our grandparents on the battlefield in their eyes. We never thought it would happen now. You know, I told somebody, I said, it's like history is repeating itself. When Trump was in power, I felt like I was living in 19, the 1960s. 2020 felt like 1968. Are we in 1939? <laughs> Are we on the cusp of a world war? And instead of Roosevelt, you got Biden. You know, I, I, I think I said to myself the other day, I said, you know, it's kind of like, Biden is made for this moment because I don't know how Trump would have reacted. I think this proves having trust is so important as a world leader. I, and when I say that, I, I'm saying that Trump lied so much that he eroded his trust that if this would have happened on his watch, I don't think he would have got buy-in from the world. I don't think he would have got buy-in from the American people because we would look at him and say, how can we trust you? Here was a man who said, what? I trust Putin over American intelligence in Helsinki. Yet, yet, 
He said Putin was scared to do this on his watch. Maybe, maybe not. I think Putin still would have done this. And I, and I say that because here's a man that wanted Ukraine for the longest. So what's to make him not do it under Trump when he wants this country? And the question is, what would have Trump done? Trump probably would have let him have Ukraine. He probably would have turned his back on these people and not put sanctions, not did anything, because Trump believed in himself, and he believed in Putin. And if Putin said, President Trump, this is good for the Russian people, Trump would have bought it. The sad part is when I look at this conflict and I look at uh, the left and the right, and the right is calling Putin this genius. You've got Tucker saying it's just a border dispute. You know, and the left is coming to Biden's aid and saying this is wrong. Well, you've got some people on the right saying it's wrong too. But you could, you could clearly see it's put fractions in the Republican Party. They don't know what to do. And you see them slowly walking back what they've said about Putin. Trump says it's fake news. He was misquoted when he called Putin a genius. <clears throat> misquoted? You look bad now because Putin is a genius because he's killing people. And it makes you look bad. You know, sometimes we're quick to talk without knowing the facts. And I think Putin, Trump was quick to call Putin this genius without letting it play out. And when he saw how it was being taken, and he was saw how the international world looked at him, and he saw how the American people criticized him, he realized that comment was stupid. Now, do I think Putin's a genius? Hell no. I think Putin's a bad man. I think Putin's a person, as I look at the Russian people, I say to myself, will they uprise to take him out? Will the oligarchs who are being squeezed right now rise up to take this man out? They're losing their wealth. The ruble is collapsing. The country is headed for a depression. Yet Putin sits back in his tower and he wants to create the greatness of something he saw on paper. You know, it's almost like when he was a little boy, he felt how great and powerful the USSR was. You know, and it's like after World War II, it switched. America started to go on the upswing <clears throat> as Russia or the Soviet Union started to decline. And I think Putin has felt that ever since. And he has felt that because he's talked about it. He's talked about Ukraine is not a country. He's talked about that they belong to Russia. That they don't even exist. We give the Defense Department $864 billion. Yet they do nothing with it. We pray, we hope. But sometimes praying and hoping is not enough. We need to do better. You know, as I look at this war, I say to myself, 
Are the American people ready to sacrifice? Are they truly ready to be there to show their support for the Ukrainian people? High gas prices, food prices, a paycheck that is about to get squeezed. What made the greatest generation great is that they sacrificed. They were willing to do what it took to take down evil. They were willing to do what it took to restore the world to its greatness. Are we willing to do what it takes? Or are we going to say it's Brandon's fault? We need to pull back. I'm tired of paying five bucks a gallon. I can't afford to feed my family. My check is getting squeezed. And for what? A country I know nothing about? People I know nothing about? What made the greatest generation great? Is because they were willing to go the distance. Because they knew we're in this together. We're so divided as a country, I don't think we will. And it's sad. But we'll sit back and we'll pray. We'll sit back and we'll give our thoughts. But when it comes to our gas prices... When it comes to our food prices, when our checks become a little tight, oh, we can't have that. We can't suffer. So screw them, let them suffer. Yet we call ourselves Christians. Yet uh, one nation under God. Yet we don't live out those principles. What made the greatest generation great is because they knew what evil was. And they knew what it was going to take to fix it. Are we willing to go the extra mile? Are we willing to feel a little pain? Are we willing to sacrifice? Or all is it all talk? Or do we live in this generation <clears throat> where we watch a house on H well, I'm gonna go off subject a little bit, where we watch a house on HGTV and it gets fixed in 30 minutes to an hour? Is that how we want our war? Do we want our war solved in 30 minutes or an hour? Are we ready to go months, weeks, days? To solve this issue? Are we willing to stand <clears throat> behind the president and say, Mr. President, I might not agree with you, but I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to go the distance because I understand if I don't now, I'll be forced to do it when it comes to our door. Ladies and gentlemen, what made the greatest generation great is sacrifice. That's all it was. They saw evil. They knew evil. They knew what it took 
Can you imagine? January, December 7th, being attacked by another country, no fault of their own, and America rose up to solve a problem of the world. It took, I want to say four, maybe five, four or five years. But they were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to go the distance. Are you? Are you the greatest generation too? Are you the part of this new HGTV generation? Do you want the war wrapped up in 30 minutes? Do you want to be tucked in your bed and make, and, and, and your mom tell you these stories about how the world is great? And you have nothing to worry about. And and don't and turn off that TV. Turn off that news. Ukraine doesn't matter to us. That's a country over there. We have nothing to worry about. That's what they said about Hitler. That's a country over there we have nothing to worry about. It's not going to affect us. Until it did. Until Hitler wasn't satisfied with what put Poland. He needed another country, and another, and another, until he wanted it all. Did you care? Did they care then? Did they wake up then? Are you really, are you ready ready to wake up now? If we don't solve it now, we'll be forced to solve it when it comes to our door. What made the greatest generation great? Is sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice? Go the distance. Go the distance. Go the extra mile. You know, and I I thought to myself, I say, Mark, are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to feel pain? You know, and and it's, it's, it's hard to say. You know, with food prices, fuel prices. I'm just like you. I'm human. You know, and I and I and I think to myself, you know, when when Georgia happened, I looked the other way. When Crimea happened, I looked the other way. But something about this this action now, you know, I can't look away anymore. I've also thought to myself, can you imagine if we looked at if we looked at World War II on TV like they're looking at now? If our grandparents could look at the war. Like we're looking at it now. If we could look at Vietnam differently. What made the greatest generation great is sacrifice. And I look at myself and I can tell you, I don't know if I'd be willing to sacrifice. I'd like to think I would. But deep down, I have to ask myself the question, can I? Can I afford it? How much? I've got a family of my own to support. How much do I have to sacrifice? And then I really think of myself, well, Mark, are you just like everybody else? Are you part of this HGTV generation? Do you want a war wrapped up in 30 days? I mean, 30, 30 minutes, an hour. Are you willing to go the distance? Are you willing to go the long haul? Are you willing 
to do what it takes so Ukraine can become whole again? And that is a question we must ask ourselves as I ask myself that. These people are hurting. These people are in their wits' ends. Can you imagine you go to bed tonight and you wake up and your country's being attacked? You're, 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 you're home. You're having to flee with just the clothes and maybe a few clothes and a suitcase with your kids and not knowing what tomorrow would bring. Just knowing that your life will never be the same ever again. All because a man wants to reenact something he saw on a page. Something he felt when he was young. And he felt when it collapsed, it was wrong that it did, and it must be reestablished. So people have to pay. People have to die. People have to suffer. So we can have what we had before. There's so much stuff in my life I want to go back to. But sometimes you have to let those things go. Sometimes you have to be looking to the future because that's what it is. But if we look to the past, if we romanticize the past, we won't like the outcome. And I think I can imagine Putin sitting in his tower and he's looking and he's saying, what the hell is going on? He's got soldiers who haven't been fed, don't have gas for their, their fuel tanks for the tankers. They're fighting people who speak their language. They did not know they were going to a war. They were promised that this war was just a peacekeeping mission. Can you imagine that? I tell you we're going to, to, to go free these people, and they're going to love us and welcome us. And instead of running into our arms, they're shooting at us. They're gunning for our heads. This is not a peacekeeping mission, you say to yourself. This is hell. And it's hell because the leader of our country sent us here on a premise of a lie. On a premise of a fucking lie. Mothers don't know where their sons are. You hear the messages. They're calling their moms. Mom, I'm in Ukraine. This is war. It's hell. The people of Russia are, are have taken to the streets being arrested. I, today I saw a grandmother in Russia being arrested because she knows what's happening is wrong. This is the time for the Russian people, I hope, to realize they must step up. They must rise. If you want your country to rejoin the world, you must step up now. Because if you don't step up now, when? When the whole world has turned its back on you? When you, the Russian people, can't even afford to feed your family? While the oligarchs and Putin sit in their tower and they eat their steak and they flee beyond and you're eating beans.
soup without meat. Hopefully you got some rice. Ladies and gentlemen, are we willing to sacrifice? Can we sacrifice? Or is this the HGG, HGTV generation? Do we want it wrapped up in 30 minutes? Do we need it wrapped up in an hour? What made the greatest generation great is that sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you? Are you? Tell me. I've got to know. A paycheck that's being squeezed, fuel prices going up. And a country we know nothing about that's over there affecting us here. Can you go the distance? That's a question. That is a question we must ask ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, the State of the Union. The State of the Union was yesterday. I hope everybody watched. I will say from an outsider and 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 I was listening to something on the radio, and they made a good point. They said, you know, sometimes it's perfect to listen to the State of the Union, you know, through the radio. You get a different perspective of it. And I thought to myself, you know, when I watched the State of the Union, Biden seemed off. And you could say he does have a stutter. He, he seemed lost a little bit. You know, he laid out some good points. He could have sold us on, your, on the Ukrainian war a little bit and just laid out a clear path. I think a lot of reading I'm doing today and a lot of anal the, anal the analysts are saying, you know, maybe if he had, you know, put out some, instead of laying out a bunch of plans, some narrow plans and sticking to them. And, and it's a good point because it was like, it was like one bullet point after another. And it was kind of like someone said, and I agree, it was hard to follow. We're going to do this. 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 Okay. What I thought was sad was it was a political speech. Wouldn't it be nice if the State of the Union, you being a president, knowing that you're in a Congress that's evenly divided, what if you said, you know what? This is a presidency that's going to shoot for the middle. And you laid out agendas that you knew the other side and you could work with. Stuff that you could agree. What's sad is he did not do that. Some people said, well, he did stick to the middle a little bit. Fund the police. And, and the right got up. You know, I've, I've, I've said my piece on to fund the police. And I do agree we do need to fund the police, but we also need police reform. And he could have tackled that. You know, when I look at the presidency, London, London Johnson said, what good is the presidency if you can't do bold ideas? And it's a clear message. I think Joe can shoot big 
but he can shoot big and do it in a way where you get both sides to buy in. And I think the other side wants to buy in, but they're being held back from their voters. And if they just came to their voters and saying, we're tired of playing this game of where we tear each other apart. We need to get to a point where we can enact legislation that benefits us. We're always talking about drug prices and how we need to negotiate drug prices, but we never enact it. We, it's like a can we're kicking down the road. It's like we know the problem, but we don't solve it. And the question is why? Why can't we solve this? Is it because we're going to give Joe a win? Or was it because we're going to give Donald Trump a win? So the fuck, what if who gets the fucking win? The American people win. Shouldn't that be all that matters? I would say on a clear conscience, I would say the speech was well. I would say, you know, maybe the next speech, tailor it a little better. You know, I would, I, and I thought I said, well, Mark, how would you have done it? I would have said, I would have started, I said, the state of our union is on the men. We've come out of a dark cloud, but yet the dust has settled and America still stands strong. Inflation rises but we can tackle it together. This is a time for the American people to realize their greatness. Drug prices, let's tackle them. Let's negotiate drug prices. Let's fix the health care in this country. Police reform, fund no police. These are things we could do. COVID-19 is on the back end. Let's keep pushing forward. We've been vaccinated. We don't need to wear masks anymore. We need to think and move forward. I would tell Joe Biden, go big, yet go small. I would say, Mr. President, there are people who are never going to be with you. You lost these people when Afghanistan blew up in your face. What you can do now is the people who are on the fence about you is you can spend every waking minute trying to get those people back. Talking to them. The best thing I would say you need to do a face book or YouTube town hall. Talk to ordinary people. Have people submit questions. Go on Fox News. Sit down and talk to their people. Mr. President, let this moment be the moment that you reach out to the other side and say, you can trust me. You don't have to hate me. I heard a woman the day say, I hate Joe Biden. I just laugh when he talks. 
And I say to myself, this is this, probably the same woman who probably got mad when the people said, I hate Donald Trump. You shouldn't hate the president. The State of the Union could have been a speech that united us, made us wake up. It could have been a speech where you heard people say, you know, I don't care for Joe Biden. I feel like he has some issues. But I felt like it was a speech that was a call to arm that made me feel proud that he was my president. This could have been a speech where it was the start of the comeback story. I think Joe Biden has to get there. Some people would say maybe he needs to fire some people. And maybe that is true. Maybe he needs to let some people go. But I would say this speech needs to be one where you shoot down the middle. Instead of shooting on your side and making it a partisan speech, make it bipartisan. You know, and I thought about it, I said, you know, wouldn't it be funny if he said, you know, I'm going to enact an office in my White House where if a member of Congress has an idea, bring it to me. Can you imagine that? You know, I hear so much of these congressmen who say, you know, I've got this idea, but the, the White House would never listen to it. You know, I, I, I've got this idea, but the White House would never listen to it. What if the president had an office in the White House where you brought your ideas? And if the idea was good enough, you sat down with the president. You said, Mr. President, I've got the bill right here. If you put the White House puts its weight behind it, I can guarantee you 50 votes, if not 20. It's a good bill, Mr. President. And then you can truly say, if these people truly want to make America great, you know, if you've got these congressmen who supported, it's like under Obama where people supported something, and as soon as Obama got on board, they reversed it. You can truly see if they still support it. The one thing I think that's going to affect this White House that they're not talking about, immigration. I think he needs to sit down with Mitch McConnell and say, let's craft the bill. You know, take the immigration bill that the, the Republicans put forth. In 2018, take Obama's bipartisan bill, take George Bush immigration bill, mix them together to make one great bill. If immigration is truly an issue, and with summer coming, and you know the influx is about to be here, let's pass a bill. Let's make a bill great. Bipartisan. Get by in. Of course you're going to piss off some people from the left. And of course you're going to piss off some people from the right. But I'm sure there's enough buy-in that you can get the votes to make an immigration bill stick. The question I would tell anybody, if immigration was such an issue, how come Donald Trump and the Republicans didn't pass it? He ran on it, but he couldn't pass it. It's because... Immigration is one of those things where they need something to kick, something to wave around to get the votes. I, I, like I said, the State of the Union speech was a little jumbled for me. It could be great. Joe Biden could be great. 
but he looked off. He looked dazed. He looked confused. Do I say he has dementia? No. But he needs to be clear and concise. And instead of a speech where it's partisan, he needs to shoot down the middle and be bipartisan. When you're in a divided Congress, you need to think that. You can think bold. You can think big. But you can do that at the same time of getting buy-in from the other side. That's what it's all about. And if you don't do that, what are you doing? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, the Supreme Court, Kentanji Brown Jackson. Do you know the Supreme Court has been around for 232 years? And the court has never sat a black woman. Never a black woman. You know what's funny? To have that perspective, to have that mindset, you know, growing, you know, being in the Navy or the military, you realize that there are people who think different than you. But when you meet these people, they, they test you. They open your eyes and you start to realize that there's a world outside of that little town in Georgia you grew up in. You learn to respect them. You learn to appreciate their different outlook on life. The court has been around for 232 years, yet we've never had a black woman's perspective. She has all these accolades. She has a resume that truly makes her a quality pick. And you see the right not knowing how to tackle it. Ted Cruz <clears throat> saying she got her uh, pick uh, for affirmative action. Marsha Blackburn, which surprised me, said it was the wrong time for Joe Biden to make this pick. And then just tonight, Tucker Carlson saying, we need to see her L-set scores. It's kind of funny. It's like the right's scared to have a black woman on the court. And when you would approach them and say, well, is this because she's black? Of course they would push back. No, 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 no. Well, why would you say these things? I mean, I don't remember Tucker Carlson asking to see uh, Amy Coney Barrett's LSAT scores. I don't remember him saying that about uh, Kavanaugh. But you say it now? But you're not, you don't think that's wrong? Marsha Blackburn, when is a good time to put someone on the court? <laughs> a month before an election? Is that a good time? Affirmative action, she got her job because of affirmative action? No, Ted Cruz, she got the pick because she's qualified. She's been a public defender. Here's a woman with life ex experience. And she can help the court see from a black woman's perspective. Now you can say, well, we have Clarence Thomas. We're seeing from a black man. Yes, you're seeing from a black man. 
but maybe sometimes to see from a black woman's perspective is a lot different than a black man's perspective. The court's been around for 232 years, yet they have not put a black woman on the court, which is surprising. And some people say, why did Biden even make this? Why did he even say it on the campaign trial? I told somebody, you know what? When you run for office, you say anything to gin up support. It's a promise he made. Donald Trump said a lot of things. Some he lived up to, some he did not. I think we look at the court and some people say, well, it's going to turn political. And I say to myself, have you not been watching the court at all, you know, in a while? And they say, what do you mean? The court has already been made political. They, they're, not, they're not thinking from the Constitution. They're thinking from themselves, their own opinions. And that's how they're ruling the court. Now, <laughs> Judge Jackson won't really sway the court. She's replacing, you know, <clears throat> Justice Breyer. But, you know, she will be someone that sits on the court and will be there for a while. Now, I will say maybe Biden shouldn't have said he'd put a black woman in the court. And when the time came, just did it anyway and said she was the greatest pick out of everybody on the short list. But for the Republicans coming out now and making this huff and puff, you can say, well, when Trump said he was going to put a woman on the court, I don't remember Republicans pushing back. When uh, Mitch McConnell said, I'm going to push uh, Amy Coney Barrett a month before the election, I don't remember Marsha Blackburn speaking out then. And I don't remember uh, Tucker Carlson asking to see the LSAT scores. When it comes to the Supreme Court, I think it's important for people to look. I think the way the world's, I think the way the world's looking now, it's important for people in power or offices in power to look like America. And I think having a black woman on the court will make people say, hmm, that looks like America. And I think it will allow them to have a different perspective in <clears throat> their chambers. Now, will she sway things? You know, maybe she says stuff and she takes her own life experiences and maybe she looks at the Constitution and she says, this is the way I see this. And she says, the way I see it is because this is what I've, you know, been through. And people take that. We like to think that the judges don't take their own personal opinion when they make uh, rulings, but you have to be a fool to think that. I think when you sit on the bench, you take your life, your, uh, life experiences and you add that to your rulings. I mean, think of the abortion ruling, that the, the abortion case. Amy Coney Barrett, a woman of uh, who's an elite, was talking about well, women have so much advantages now. You know, we can just you know uh, put the kids in fault. You know, not foster care, but um, you know, put them in child care. But here's a woman that's an elite, 
She doesn't know about the regular, you know, woman who's struggling to afford childcare. But that's her life ex experience. That's her opinion. And so she's taking that. And she's adding it, she's mixing it in with her ruling. And, and she's going to help frame the uh, abortion uh, case with that. So overall, I would say it's a good pick, good choice. And I think having a black woman on the court will definitely, and, and unlike Ted Cruz, I say it gives the court, you know, a sense of looking like America. I don't think she'll have that much sway on the court now unless something happens. But I think maybe in Chambers she tells a story and she helps the judges see things a way that maybe they wouldn't see. I just think right now the right is very scared. You know, I think the right's scared because of the way America's going. So you see the court working overtime to push America back. You know, some people say that in America we've we've gone too fast forward and we need to rewind slowly back. The question is, if we rewind slowly back, don't be surprised when we come back and we push forward again. Change is scared, scary, but it needs to happen. Nobody likes change, but change is good. <sighs> Before I leave, I'm going to tackle, just talk this about the little bit Um. The January 6th committee has come out and they've saying they're saying that uh, Trump got close to breaking the law in his effort to overturn the election. I think a lot of people on the right are looking at the January 6th committee and I think when it when the results I think when it comes out I think when the report does come out I think it's going to be one of damning. You've already had one guy admit, you know, to doing wrong. Let me see if I can pull it up. To uh, conspiracy. I think when the report finally comes out, it's going to it's going to ding Trump in a way where he can't run, and it's going to make him radioactive in the Republican Party. And I think you're going to see the party come swiftly and try to debunk the <coughs> January 6th committee when the report finally comes out. But I think with the guy, one of the oath, keep, oath keepers coming out now and, and uh, pleading guilty and saying he will work with uh, federal official, officials in the committee, I think that should be something that gives everybody on the right pause who wanted to downplay January 6th. And for everybody who says the committee is a non-committee, remember this before I wrap up. Uh, they wanted to do a bipartisan committee. And Kevin McCarthy got everything he wanted. But when it got to the Senate, Mitch McConnell said he begged his party not to tackle it. But I think it's going to be something that they regret doing and someone made a good point because they don't have their people in the room to push back on a lot of this. 
So it's like a train that they can't stop. Ladies and gentlemen, Ukraine is out of control. Are you willing to sacrifice? Can you? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you like the content, please subscribe. Please share. Ladies and gentlemen, have a good night. God bless.